Awesome. Okay, so I'll start uh, for, for everyone who came again. So, so today, as we know, is the beginning of uh, Shavuot Sheharbo, right? It's the beginning of the week leading up to Tisha B'Av, which uh, is one of the most, unfortunately, catastrophic and unfortunate days in our uh, history. And I figured the way we can approach the introduction to the Pirkei today is to talk about not necessarily the destruction and what caused it, but how to undo the destruction, right? How can we all make tikkunim for what the destruction was? And how can our behavior and what we learn from within Pirkei Avot influence the coming of the Mashiach, influence the redemption, right? So that's going to be the focus of the introduction, just because it's relevant to the time. We're going to jump around in a couple of the Perakim, but ultimately it's relevant to the day, it's relevant to the week, and it's relevant to the, to the period of time that's coming up as the Shabbat. So... As we know, the reason, they say the main reason for the destruction of the temple in the time of the temple was Sinat Hinam, right? Which is the idea of baseless hatred. And we use this expression often, and it's something that's almost unfortunately become cliched in our dialogue because we say it all the time, but we really have to understand what Sinat Hinam is. Because it isn't just looking at a guy and saying, I hate that guy, I want bad for that guy. Sinat Hinam is something that is very easily created in, in, in the human heart. It's something that everyone technically suffers from at one point or another. So the whole idea today is what can we do to identify and define what it is and what can we do to prevent it and how do we undo it? And I think Pirkei Avot gives a lot of hints within the text about how we can do that. So the first thing that we know as, as a nation uh, when it comes to loving your friend is right? the idea of loving your friend the way you love yourself. And again, that's another concept that's difficult to digest because at the end of the day, could you really love someone the way you love yourself? Meaning, okay, I, I love my friend, but are you really going to love him the way you love yourself? Or at the end of the day, are you going to prioritize your pleasures? What if you really your... don't like yourself? So that's another... No, that's... that's by the way, it's a, it's, by the way, it's a funny question. It's a real question. It's a real question. Rabbi Nachman writes in Lekutei Moharan 282, he says that the mitzvah of loving your friend is just as important as a mitzvah on yourself. It includes loving yourself. So he says when you're forced, according to the mitzvah, to find the good in someone, even a wicked person, no matter how wicked a person is, there's a good point within him. How? How do we know? What's the proof? He wouldn't be alive. Nobody can exist on this planet if they do not have Selim Elohim within them. If they have a spark of something to keep them going, to keep them connected to Hashem. So even the most wicked person, well, Alayna, we don't want to say names, but there's some wicked people in history. There has to be that there's something or else they can't possibly exist. So, so what does Rabbi Nachman say to your point? He says, if that's true about someone else, it's true about ourselves. We have to look inside ourselves to find one good point within ourselves. Tell us a little bit about what that, what that idea is about. God has faith in us to get up in the morning another day, that he put us here another day. Right? Think about it. Hashem, your faith in me is what brought me back because you gave me another day. So it must be there's something inside of me 
that is worthy to be alive and has something to contribute. So I'm happy you brought up what you brought up because mm-hmm. it's true. A person who's down on himself, he's mean to himself, he has an ayn ra towards himself. How is he going to look towards anybody else positively? Mm-hmm. How is he going to look towards anybody else in a, in a good light? And by the way, the Baal Shem Tov says this all the time in the reverse. He says, if you look at somebody and you see the bad in somebody, that's Hashem showing you like a mirror the bad within yourself. Mm-hmm. So the Baal Shem Tov says, if there's something inside of you that you're not happy about, it's going to come out at someone else. Where you're going to look at someone, you're going to say, oh, he's this, he's that, he's that. But Baal says, be careful because that means that's an issue you have. But what I want to talk about in terms of Sinat Hinam is a few things. First of all, the Pirkei Avot says, It says, buy yourself a friend. Okay? And Rabbeinu Yonah, the way he defines it, he says, it means you should find a trusted friend that you know is going to help you grow spiritually. It's a friend that you know will study with you, will give you advice, will give you rebuke. Literally, Rabbi Nuna says he'll point out in ways for you to improve your character. And the benefits of this relationship, they're saying, right, Pekiavot, and this, and this is brought down by Rav to justify why you buy it. The benefit is so powerful that you should be willing to pay to have a friend like this by your side. Now, I have a question. It says, make yourself a teacher, okay? Is it so easy to find yourself a quality teacher? Why, why don't you buy a teacher also? We pay tutors, we pay for school, we, we, we totally kane rav, right? We, we're constantly, if anything, we pay rabbis more than we pay our friends. So what's with the emphasis of, of buying yourself a friend? What's the chidush there? What, what's so crazy about having a good friend? What about a good rabbi? And the idea is very simple. A rabbi is trained and designed and worked on himself to a point of to give you chinuch, to be there for you, to teach you, to guide you, to answer your your, your questions. A rabbi with old, and and we need, there's a lot of them. You, one rabbi moves, you find another rabbi. Many of us have many rabbis. Aselecha rav, of course, means halakha, hashkafa, you pick one rabbi. But some of us have a rabbi for halakha, then we learn with another rabbi for Musad, then maybe there's a different rabbi for Kabbalah. Right? We all have multiple rabbis we like. When we want the inspiration, Musad, we maybe we go to Rabbi Haber. When we want something a little more deep and scholarly, maybe we go to Rabbi Yudir, Rabbi Mansur. There's a lot of rabbis. But a friend, you know how hard it is to find a friend that's truly happy for you when you succeed? That truly gets excited from your success and truly gets sad and down and depressed when you're down? It's so rare. So Pekavot is saying, you should pay a ton of money if you could find someone like that. Where they'll sit with you not only when you're partying and you're high as a kite on life happy and succeeding, but even when you're down and out and you're on the couch and you're sad and you need somebody to open a sefer and give you musad or give you kawach. Your friend's there to sit down next to you and lift you up, take in and lift you up. There's nothing more valuable than that. So, so the, the, the Mishnah is telling us here that we have to buy a friend for ourselves so we can have that benefit. And that's already the first clue into what we can adopt to be good friends and undo this terrible thing called sinat chinam. How can we train it within ourselves to be happy for our friends? When we go to a wedding, instead of feeling that we're going for the obligation or going for the lamb chops or the bar, how, how can we go and, and actually watch the groom and see their joy and say, you know what? This is the best night of his life. This is the greatest night of my friend's life. And you jump in the middle and you dance and you tell them good words, right? The Gemara says the mitzvah of going to a wedding is giving them good words. You look great. Your wife's beautiful. What an event. What an amazing. 
and slowly your, your heart will start to be stirred. If you take that first step, yeah, it might feel weird, not natural, I'm faking it, it's inauthentic. But after a while, if you open, like the, like, the, like the Gemara says, I believe, if you open it like a tiny little bit of a hole, Hashem will turn it into a large entryway for, for chariots to enter. So if we just try to be a little more loving towards our friend, truly happy for our friend, then, then we'll be able, to, then we'll be able to, to, to play that role. And that's why this is so special. I don't know anybody more than Aiki Zakai than Cub who truly loves his friends with purity, where if you're happy, he's happy. If you're upset, he's upset. It's almost like he feels your pain. And by the way, you guys are no, are no less. It's Sunday, it's magnificent. There's tournaments, there's the beach, the sun is out. You guys are all gathering here to learn Torah with Aiki and with each other. And what did Rabbeinu Yonah say right here? He says it explicitly verbatim. Find the trusted friend who will help you grow spiritually. That's happening right here. Will serve as your study partner. Happening right here. Offers you advice. I can tell you this. Ike gives me advice all the time. And pointing out ways in which you could improve your character. So I'm also bringing this up because I want you guys to, to your point, find the good points within yourself. I just gave you one. The next time you're down on yourself, what's one point? I know I'm a good friend. I showed up to Ike's house. I showed up to learn. I sacrificed time on the beach and in the morning on a sunny Sunday to learn. We have to fight the Yetzirara from making us think that we're terrible. Because it loves getting us down. It loves it. We're good. Why is it telling us to buy yourself a friend? It's saying invest yourself in order to acquire a friend. Right? Because when you show up to learn with your friend, when you show up by taking his calls when he's down, when you show up at his happy occasions, you are putting in your buy, you are investing yourself in order to earn his friendship, and because you did that, he will be a true friend to you, which comes with all these benefits. Judge every person favorably. Now this is something that is incredible because what the Baal Shem Tov says is he says, pay attention to the way you justify yourself. Let's say you're not going to shul or God forbid you're eating NK or you're not learning. He goes, okay, one day right now, you know, it's life's, it's hard, I don't live home or... Uh, I'm busy with work, I got a constant, right? We come up with alibis and justifications and reasons that we aren't our best, right? Like, oh, I didn't go to shul today. Oh, no, I was tired, I slept very late. But what happens the second we see someone else doing something wrong? We judge the guy, right? Like we go to the worst case. So Baal Shem Tov says, what does it mean judging favorably? Judge him the way you judge yourself. Maybe he's late for work. So he couldn't, he couldn't make it to shul. Maybe he's driving on Shabbat because his wife's pregnant or there's an emergency or she's giving birth or someone's sick, right? This is the idea, of course, with your prerequisite. If you love yourself and you judge yourself favorably, and by the way, what's funny is this is even if you don't love yourself, you're probably judging yourself favorably because it's a way to, it's a, way to, it's a coping mechanism. It's like, uh, yeah, I couldn't do it today because of X, Y, and Z. So what they're saying here is do the same thing to your friend, Hazi. Make the excuse for your friend. Make the excuse yeah. for your friend. And the Baal Shem Tov says, you don't know the, the mystical, esoteric uh, ramifications of this. Because what happens is, is when someone's sinning, the heavenly courts, they open the books. They're looking at this guy. They're assessing him. They're seeing what people are saying about him. They're seeing what deeds he's doing. They're, they're, they're analyzing the guy to see what we should do with him. So if now they see a guy saying, look at this guy's a rasha. He doesn't keep Shabbat. He's a sketch. He makes it like he's pious. He learns, but he doesn't do this. The heavenly courts take into account what you're saying when enacting the judgment towards the guy. This is what Baal Shem Tov writes. So he says, when you do the opposite, 
Hazith, he's very tired, he had a late night last night, maybe there's something going on. What happens to Heavenly Courts? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, you're right. Maybe he's, uh, oh, he's generally a good guy. He's right. You say, yeah, he's a good guy. He learns, he generally comes, it must be. And the Heavenly Court says, oh, you know, you're right. Yeah, maybe it's not so bad. So the says, you're literally affecting the guy's life. Like, like by you looking at him and judging him, you might be causing things to happen to him, God forbid. But when you look at him positively, you're saving a Jew. You're then saving yourself. Why? Because when you're judging someone favorably, now the heavens judging you favorably. So everyone wins. It's a win-win. But what he mentioned was, why is it brought after the concept of buy a friend for yourself? Because, first of all, I'm going to expand on it. First of all, in order for you to acquire a friend, you really have to judge people favorably. Because otherwise, this guy's not for me. This guy's not for me. That guy's not for me. How are you going to acquire yourself a friend if you're not? How you don't have an eye in tov to see the good in people? And the second is post. After you acquire a friend, in order to maintain a friend, grow with the friend, have, have a friend that, like we said, you're putting in and he's putting in, you have to judge each other favorably. Nobody likes feeling judged. Who wants to hang out with a person where they feel they're looking at them in a certain way? So the Mishnah is trying to tell us, get yourself a friend and now judge people favorably. And you keep your friends and you'll benefit from your friends. Co-benefit. You'll benefit them and they'll benefit you. It also sounds like you can't judge people favorably unless you have a problem. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, so here's something I wanted to add, is that it, you can think of it almost uh, sequential. And you could think of is that you should buy your, your, yourself a friend, meaning you should acquire yourself as a friend. Meaning you should love yourself as a friend first. Back to this guy. Which is what yeah. you said. It's in the word that's not. The second one is for you. But it's, 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 it's within you. Then they also say, this is, I've heard this before, the, the dual interpretation is either have a, a rabbi for yourself or make yourself a rabbi. So you reach the point where, okay, I know the halakha mostly. You know, I don't need to ask rabbi every second. I, I learned this. And the idea is that once you're, you, you love yourself, you're habed with yourself, and once you're talmid chacham within yourself, then it's easy to judge everybody like chachut. You could also be an accurate dayan if you have both of those. Right. By the way, you know, you know, I thought you were going the opposite. I thought what I thought you were going to say, which is interesting, is once you're a rabbi, yeah, you don't think you don't need friends because you're a rabbi. You need friends. You still need a support system. Don't, don't judge people, oh, I know more than them, I'm smarter than them. Judge favorably, even though you're a rabbi. So it could also be the other way, right? Which is like, it's very, it's very easy to get caught up in your ruhaniyut, in your madrigot that you're reaching, the levels, and then say, I can't be friends with these people. I'm, I'm, I'm above them. How can I be friends with these people? Or, or, and you judge, so, so they're saying, like Mike's saying, become a rabbi, but don't forget, you still need friends and you still got to judge people favorably. Which we, we've been saying, but we can read it from the words, is judge everybody and who's the one person that you're in charge of? Yourself. So instead of being like we said this earlier, instead of being hard on yourself, instead of being hard on yourself, love yourself and be like, no, you know, yesterday I did good also, today I did good also. You know, judge yourself. I wrote the class. I love it. Isn't that amazing how the sequence, you brought up the sequence, look what it unpacked. Can I, can I say one thing? Yeah, go ahead. What you of actually told me. I remember one time you stressed the importance of the Kali Adu, right, which is basically talking to Hashem and asking personal prayers. 
Um, something like judging other people favorably, sometimes your mind is on its auto, like I see somebody, I see something, this is why I judge. Like, I'm not choosing to judge them negatively, this is just, I see this, it equates this. Your job also is to... When are you allowed to, to judge somebody? And ask, to, ask Hashem, give me that more favorable <laughs> twist on people. Even if I look yes. at this one person, I know my whole life, so I know when he's doing this, he's probably thinking this. Yeah. Still, yeah. take that out of my head. And give me a more favorable What you're saying is powerful. It's something that we're really supposed to pray for because we have to. We can't. When we learn stuff in Pekiavot that we want to adopt, we cannot actually achieve it without Hashem. It's impossible. So we need to pray for them. You think that's just going to come to us? No way. You have, to, you have to pray, Hashem. Please, Hashem, help me be humble. Give me humility. Help me not desire honor and, and, and praises and compliments. Help me not feel it when it comes. Because you might say, okay, I don't desire it, but it's still coming. Help me not hear it. Help me not see it. Get rid of my... You have to beg Hashem for these things because it's not natural. It's against... So, uh, we just learned in Gemara. Um, I don't have... I don't know exactly what we're going to, but we're talking about Yitzhara. Uh, and it literally... I mean, I don't have the exact source from but it says that we are unable to defeat it without Hashem. Without learning Torah, we have no way of defeating it. So the only way to defeat it is learn Torah, and by doing that, by trying to do the right things, then Hashem will... There's no way it's No, it's impossible. So something else I read in the Ramchal, Misilati Sharim, he talks about Zerizu. Zerizu is the idea of immediately doing the mitzvah. Don't give it a second extra. And he says Zerizu is the opposite of our nature. We came from the dust, we came from the earth, and the earth is, is sedentary. The earth doesn't really move a lot. So it's in our nature not to want to move to be slothful. So how do you achieve Zerizu? How does Hashem expect you to achieve Zedizut? He says the first step is you try. You do Zedizut in the way that you can. So now, maybe I woke up 10 minutes late. Okay, but at least I ran to show, you know? At least I ran a little bit. So, okay, I can't wake up as early, but at least I ran. He says that in those efforts that you make to be Zediz, Hashem gives you the, the, the sachar, Hashem gives you the, the reward of real zedizut. And Hashem instills in you real zedizut. So he says it's against our nature, it's impossible, similar with anavah. We need an ego. The ego developed over time because we need to think about ourselves and how we're going to make it in the world, etc. So you can't turn off the ego by yourself. That's it. That's anti-nature. But Hashem controls everything. Hashem controls nature. Hashem controls anti-nature. So you can pray to Hashem to refine your character, refine yourself, and Hashem can give it to you. Yeah, it's, it's in general, to think a, a theme of, of Judaism, of life in general, is that Hashem is the one who makes miracles happen. Without Hashem, of course nothing happens without Hashem, but let's just say like on a personal level, day-to-day life, things go normally on a day-to-day, on a day-to-day life. Nothing happens supernaturally without Hashem's intervention. When does Hashem intervene? When you do your part first, when you take that first step, you say, Hashem, I'm willing to, I'm willing to take, I'm willing to try to do something, and then Hashem says, you're willing to try? I'm going to make miracles happen so that this will actually happen for you. Uh, it's a big point. They say, if you change your nature, Hashem will change nature for you. So that's the idea of Nachshon ben Aminadab, that he yes. jumped into the water blindly. That's not a natural thing. The natural thing is to, I don't know, I'm not jumping there. I'll, I'll take my chances every other way. It's not certain death almost. But Hashem went beyond the nature, and they say he kept going, kept going, kept going, and then Hashem changed nature for him. And it's the same thing with us. If we do the things that show we're trying to change our nature, Hashem will open uh, Yam Sufra. You ever notice that people that, not even religiously, that people that 
Let's say someone who works out. You know how much more driven someone is to work out if they're already in shape and working out? It's, it's weird. You would think that someone out of shape would want to go work out, yeah. and someone who's in shape would be like, okay, I don't really have to work out today. And it's actually the opposite when you're in the yeah. yeah. object in motion. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So in the show, Ben Ami does jump into the water, as we know. But you didn't, Hashem does something in the first year. I don't know if it, it's, it's exactly written, but every single per, every single step they made, they were able to open up the waters, like the waters more. Like there was a wall of water, and they had to, again, take another step, take another step. So a lot of times we have challenges, we have things that get in the way. But if we trust Hashem, we trust the process of getting through the next thing, we have to just jump into the water again, jump in the water, jump in the water, do it. it might be hard. You have to get through that wall again, 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 slowly and slowly and slowly and slowly. I want to say one other thing with the um, judging people favorably. I think it's a very difficult thing to do. And I think, like, I, if I think about myself, like Michael was saying earlier, I, it's really almost second nature. Like, I, I see someone doing something that's even questionable, totally maybe matter. not the right thing in business, in, in whatever it is, in religion, anything. I'm like, my mind almost automatically. Oh well, he's not doing that. Or and then and then there's the other part of it, which is like, but I am, you know, B H. I'm great. This guy's not as good as me. We're looking good, you know. Uh -huh. That's the, the making yourself feel better. And I think I'm thinking about it now. In almost all aspects of our life, we're hardwired to believe that the more for someone else, the less for me. Like in like in mo just money in general, the more there's a there's a finite amount of money in the world. The more money for someone else, it's just the less opportunity for me. That door is closed for me in a business. That guy gets the promotion, I don't get that promotion. It's inherently competitive, even if it doesn't have to be you know vicious. It's still competitive. I think with this sinat chinam thing, I'm just realizing now. I think maybe a better way to look at it is that for Hashem's Ahava, the Sachar of Mitzvot and Torah, the Sachar of Geulah and of Mashiach, these are infinite. There's no limit. There's no limit to how much we can receive. And in fact, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's the more for you, the more for me. I help you, I get more for myself. It's true, it's the Bita Hon. If you have belief that everything comes from Hashem, then no one else's portion is taken away from yours. Exactly. That portion was never meant for you, right? Exactly. So the more so Bita Hon you have, the more you'll be able to be happy with what you have, which will translate to you also being happy for other people for what they have. And by the way, there's a Mefaresh that says, Helko doesn't mean his own. Helko. His, who is happy, he who, who, who's happy for his portion. He's happy for his friend, for what he has. So it's the idea that you just said. The idea that I am so deep in my belief that what's mine is mine. And, what, and what's my friend's my friend's. That who's rich, it's when I'm happy for what he has. Because that's his. And this is mine. And they have nothing to do with each other. So you, you brought that out. You brought that out. And, and, and listen, I want to talk for a second on the practical side because this is all very great philosophical stuff. But the question becomes, like you said, how, how, do you actually, how do you actually change that? And the first thing is, is, is understanding what the goal is, which we mentioned. The goal is really to have it in Hashem that everything that's meant to be for you is for you and what's meant for them is for them. It's understanding that you want to get to a point where you're looking at someone else and you're judging them favorably of making excuses for them that there might be reasons why they're doing what they're doing the same way we do for ourselves. <laughs> and then the last piece is looking at a person and trying to find the good points within him, right? Where we said there's got to be some modicum of good within him 
and find it. Is it chesed? Is it learning? Is it, uh, he's a good father? Is it, and, and do that. So that's the first step, is, is knowing what the goal is. The second step is realizing why we aren't there yet. The reason we are not, the reason we're not there yet is because we're in an extreme spiritual concealment, okay? We live in a very secular world. We live in America where we are constantly bombarded with physicality, okay? So when you're bombarded with physicality, your brain becomes wired, neurologically, literally wired. We're talking not only spiritual, we're talking like physically, you become wired to believe in things like statistics, to believe in things like probability, to believe in things like finite resources. You sort of become brainwashed by your eyes and by your ears from what you're seeing as just to be, it's very clear. This guy works hard, he makes money. This guy doesn't work hard, he doesn't make money. And from what you hear on the news about different things and statistics, right? 90% of companies fail. Uh, 80% of uh, ex-patients die. Uh, so, so we become brainwashed into believing in this finite, fixed mindset. When in reality, we live in a spiritual world that has just been veiled and distracted by the physical, where there really is no finite things. Hashem is infinite. Prayer is infinite. Torah is infinite. Hashem is infinite. So by starting to rewire the way we see the world, that's how naturally second nature it'll come to us where we say, no, that's his, this yeah. is mine. I feel good. Yeah. And, and it's hard work, but it can be done. It, it is a hundred percent possible. It's not idealistic. It's not impractical. It's completely practical. And it starts with what we're doing here. Learning Torah, that, that gets rid of the concealment a little bit. So that's a big piece is learning. Doing personal prayer, connecting to Hashem. Why? When you speak out loud to Hashem and your ears hear you speaking to Hashem, you know what your mind and your soul says? I believe in something greater. When you hear yourself speaking, you are subconsciously and spiritually acknowledging that there is a God. You're spiritually and psychologically acknowledging that He does listen to me when I speak. And you're spiritually and psychologically acknowledging that He answers when I talk to Him. So you are embedding this belief into your subconscious that there is something infinite which again is now going to change the way you approach the world. So now we have the Torah, we have the personal prayer, so now we're starting to infuse all this infinity within us. And the third step is to cut out as much physicality as possible. And when I say that, it's each person on his own level. One person might be spilling seed. One person might be overeating food. One person might be smoking marijuana. You, you pick, one guy could be coffee, one guy could be too much sugar. But the reality is, and, and some of you have heard me repeat this many times, and I'm going to repeat it for the sake of the topic, the Kabbalah says that the neshama is like a flame, right? It's like a fire. So the Torah is like fire. There's a lot of things that they compare to fire. The neshama is like a fire. And they compare it to the fire that was in the Beit HaMikdash, the holy fire. And if you look at the menorah, there are seven candles, right? And what determines the quality of the flames of the seven candles? The oil. The oil. You need to have the purest oil for the flame to be strong and pure, right? So if the neshama is like a fire in the Beit HaMikdash, we have to figure out what the oil is to that flame to determine how to make it the best neshama could be. So what are the seven candles of the neshama? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. What you put in the seven orifices wow. in your head will determine the quality of your neshama because by the way, they say the neshama is behind your right eye. They say it's in your brain, it's in your head. So anything you push into these systems, wow. if you're looking at things you're not supposed to, if you're listening to things you're not supposed to, if you're saying wow. or eating things you're not supposed to, wow. on any level, it will impact the quality of the neshama and create a concealment that then will lead to you saying, there is an infinity. How could there be infinity? I don't feel infinity. There's finite. How could what, what succeeds with him be good and, and not good for, and, and good for me? You, all the bombardment of that flame dims it so you can't see 
So someone who's listening to this idea of everything comes from God, everything's good, everything's to the best, that's everything crazy. that's meant for me, everything's bad. It sounds crazy. Crazy. Meanwhile, the guy next to him's like, it makes complete sense. What's the difference between these two people? One person, unfortunately, is a little dimmed, which is okay. We all go through concealment at different stages. Another person might be in a state of clarity. And again, it depends on the week. There's some weeks you're in darkness, there's yeah. some weeks you're in light. It's not the guy's a bad guy, not bad guy. It's not what we're talking about here. We're just saying, if we're conscious of this and we start shedding the physicality, then we will have clarity. And that's why they instituted fast for things like the Shabbat. If we were on a highest level, you don't need a fast. You think you need a fast? You'd see it clearly. But they know we're in such a state of physical uh, 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 immersion that we need to cut out as much physical as possible just so we could get a little taste of really what's going on. Because by the way, I'll tell you this from now, nobody in this community understands really what we're going through this week. There's no way. The Beta Mikdash, it's like God forbid, God forbid a billion times, if an army marched into Brooklyn, ripped people out of their homes, God forbid, burnt the, you know what they did in it? They were, they, were, they were wrapping kids in Torah scrolls, lighting them on fire. No, no, this was a very serious, like the Holocaust, the, 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 the Khorban. <laughs> Imagine, God forbid, I don't even want to say burning down China, it's, you know, it's, God forbid, it's crazy, but we're, but we're still running around like nothing. So, so the concealment is what makes it hard for us to feel that pain because it was so far away. So that's, so that's step number three. So we said Torah and prayer. To, to, then we mentioned um, believing that it's possible and understanding what the goal is. The third is cutting out the physical. And then what's the fourth? Doing it. Even if it doesn't feel natural or normal, just do it. And over time, oh wow, it starts to become natural. And then guess what? You're not going to have to convince your brain anymore because your eyes are just going to see it that way. That's the goal. When your eyes see it the way we're talking, you don't even have to catch yourself to, to, to say it that way. And, and the whole idea that you mentioned about the gym, I'll start working out when I get motivated. It's the opposite. Start working out, you'll get motivated, right? I'll, I'll ask her to marry me when I feel committed. No, ask her to marry you and you'll be committed. Like, like it's about the action and then the feeling follows. I think you mentioned it about the whole thing with Hashem with Emunah. Hashem, prove to me you're there with a million dollars, giving me a million dollars, and then I'll believe in you. Hashem's like, no, believe in me, I'll give you the million dollars. It, it's everything's the opposite of human nature. Why? Because again, we live in a world where the doctor's telling the patients the odds are slim for him to live. You have business investors telling the businesses the odds are slim that you're going to make it to, a, to, a, to an acquisition. You have, you have all this limited, 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 limited. And guess what? You know why? Because these people have no end or not. The outside world, the going in, the secular world. So we're listening to them and it's affecting our perception and experience of the world when in reality it's because their candle, they don't have a candle. The flames are completely out for these people. So why would we believe what they're saying? And that's why at the end of the day, all this stuff is you have to find people that have the flame burning within them, cleave to them, cleave to Hashem, and Bezrat Hashem, we will all have clarity of mind, clarity of sight to see what's right for us and eventually bring the coming of Mashiach at one point. Wow. 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 Wow.